Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, Paratruthers. This week's episode is brought to you by our patrons over on Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth. With their help, we are continuing to bring amazing new content to our listeners every week. So if you feel the urge to donate, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth, where you can just donate only a dollar and get some amazing rewards for your donation. Go check it out. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Parable Truth Radio. That's our new jingle. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And today we are kicking off yet another episode about the world's most haunted. We will begin today's episode with the infamous haunted Alcatraz, also known by many as The Rock. Now... Alcatraz. So first and foremost, the one thing I want to mention here, which I thought is really interesting, and I don't know if you know this, Justin, but I literally just learned it not too long ago here because I was doing research for this episode. And it turns out that before criminals became citizens of the rock, back when it was first found by Spanish Lieutenant Juan Manuel de Ayala. I hope I said that right. And if I'm butchering it, I don't know if it bothers you because you're no longer alive. But... May your spirit rest in peace. I am sorry. Anyway, <laughs> when he first found it, he sailed through the Golden State Bridge it, or into the Golden State because there was no bridge back then. But he sailed into the Golden State in 1775 where he first found the rocky outcrop and dubbed it La Isla de los Alcatraces, which do you know what it really means, Justin? The Island of Pelicans. The Island of Pelicans. Who would have thought that? I never would have thought that. Well, because I didn't come across anything that said why he named it that. Did Did your research come up with, like, there was a bunch of pelicans on the island or something? Or Yeah, it was just covered with a bunch of seabirds. Oh. Pelicans, seagulls, you name it. Uh, which is why he named it the Island of Pelicans. Now, of course, that was a long time ago. And we're interested more so in exactly what it became, this island. Because for a long time, it was just an island until they decided to build upon it. Uh, Alcatraz Island originally began, of course, as a U.S. military prison from the late, nine, or late 1850s to the early 1930s, about 1933. Uh, at which point, it was converted as a prison for America's most dangerous felons, which ended up operating between 1934 and 1963. And of course, unlike other prisons that we've spoken about over the last couple of weeks, uh, it has been documented that no one had ever escaped Alcatraz, which of course sat on a rock in the center of the San Francisco Bay. Now, eventually, to say that they didn't try. <laughs> that's true. And we'll get into that. We will get into that. 
Um, the prison did eventually close its doors due to high operating costs and wasn't occupied again until 1969 when a group of Native American activists occupied the building for almost two years. Since then, it has been a popular tourist destination for people who are interested in rich history and, of course, paranormal phenomena. Now, it is interesting that you mentioned that not many that people have tried, you know, yeah. to, to get away. According to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, uh, there was a report that there were approximately 14 known attempts to escape Alcatraz involving 36 inmates, uh, 23 of which were captured. Six were shot and killed during their attempted getaways. Two drowned and five went missing and were presumed to drown. Now, those five are some that get some of the most story time these days because people wonder if they really did drown or if perhaps they actually did escape. Uh, presuming that they drowned by having no evidence, well, kind of doesn't put a good, strong case on the case. You know, no strong stamp there. Now that we've just quickly went ahead and did a quick summary, let's jump back a little bit and talk about the, the prison's early years. Uh, as I've mentioned, in 1775, Spanish explorer Juan Manuel de Ala. Again, I'm very sorry if I'm <laughs> saying that last word, especially. Uh, he, he lived from 1745 to 1797. He mapped and named the rugged Alcatraz Island as, again, the island of pelicans due to its large population of seabirds. Now, 75 years later, in 1850, President Millard Fillmore, who lived from 1800 to 1874, signed an order reserving the island for military use. During the 1850s, a fortress was constructed on Alcatraz, and some 100 cannons were installed around the island to protect San Francisco Bay. Uh, also during this time, which I thought was really cool if you ever looked into it or didn't know, uh, Alcatraz became home as the West Coast for the West Coast's very first operational lighthouse. Now, by the late 1850s, the U.S. Army had begun holding military prisoners in Alcatraz. Isolated from the mainland by the cold, strong waters of San Francisco Bay, the island was deemed an ideal location for a prison because, naturally, it would keep prisoners at bay, hoping that they wouldn't try to escape, uh, and also it would cut them off from civilization, which was very important when putting someone in prison. That's kind of the point. You would um, hope so. You would hope so. Now, during its years as a military prison, the inmates at Alcatraz included Confederate sympathizers and citizens accused of treason during the American Civil War. Alcatraz also housed a number of rebellious American Indians, including 19 Hopis from the Arizona Territory, who were sent to the prison in 1895 following land disagreements with the federal government. Now, the now the inmate population at Alcatraz continued to rise during the Spanish-American War, that is, of 1898, uh, and eventually during the early 20th century, inmate labor fueled the construction of a new cell house. This is a cell house that you can still see when you go to Alcatraz today. It contains a 600-cell structure, uh, as well as a hospital, a mess hall, and other prison buildings. All of which, again, you can see if you ever, if you ever, I don't know if you guys, anyone listening has ever been to Alcatraz. I've been there, and it is a remarkable place. It's really interesting to be inside there and know the history of it. And uh, some of these places are really cool, and Alcatraz is one of them. They'll give you a, you know, you, normally you have like tours that you go on. Right. Uh, this one, they just give you headphones and a little cassette player thing that. 
basically takes you on a self-guided tour so you can pause oh. it and do whatever you want as you go and it's actually a lot nicer because you're not stuck by a group you just go on on your own <clears throat> that would be nice for a a, a ghost tour <laughs> yeah yeah and, and they do that for ghost tours too they do have oh, ghost tours okay. at night um but during the day it's more so the history side of right. things and they still tell you about ghost hauntings and things like that uh during the tour but it's not like too in-depth uh but in the 20th century, so 1912, which go figure, I mean, I think everyone knows this, uh, the complex was considered the world's largest reinforced concrete building. Yeah. Which, yeah, if you look at the place, you make, it makes sense why in 1912. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it didn't get the nickname The Rock for nothing. Right. Absolutely. Well, I mean. Other than it's a, a big rocky island, but. Right. <laughs> Uh, now between 1934 and 1963, it became a federal prison. See, in 1933, the army relinquished Alcatraz to the U S justice department, which wanted a federal prison that could house a criminal population too difficult or dangerous to handle by other U S penitentiaries. So following the construction to make the existing complex at Alcatraz more secure, the maximum security facility opened on July 1st in 1934 and the first warden, James A. Johnson, hired approximately one guard for every three prisoners. And, of course, each prisoner had his own cell, which is actually really interesting because, as it turns out, there were some prisoners who actually requested to be transferred to Alcatraz because of this reason. Now, you would think Alcatraz is the most secluded uh high max security prison of its time why would anybody want to be transferred there right and it's actually really interesting because unlike some of the other places some of these other penitentiaries that we've spoken about uh this place didn't fail the prisoners really you know the food wasn't bad uh they weren't mistreating the prisoners for the most part at least so warden james a johnson johnston New poor food was often the cause of prison riots in many prisons throughout America. So he prided himself on serving good food and inmates could return for as many helpings as they wanted. Now, inmates who behaved had access to to privileges, which included monthly movies and a library with 15,000 books and 75 popular magazine subscriptions. So overall... Many of the prisoners considered the conditions inside Alcatraz to be more attractive than other prisons throughout America at the time, which naturally would make sense. I mean, why would you stay at a place? Plus, on top of that, these are one man per cell policy. You know, other prisons, you're looking at two or more. So exactly. You have to watch your back. You have to be you know, you never know. You might be vulnerable to attack by other jail, you know, and prisoners and stuff. So. Does some of the reasons why prisoners would end up requesting to be transferred. Now, eventually, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, known as the BOP, which I will refer to from now on here throughout the rest of the, the show, uh, viewed Akachas as the prisons as a prison system's prison. Basically, this is the place that some of the most disruptive inmates can be sent to live under very sparse conditions with few privileges. 
minus those that I've already mentioned. Uh, now, according to the BOP, Alcatraz typically held somewhere between 260 and 275 prisoners, which actually represented less than 1% of the entire federal inmate population. So now we get into some of the famous people who lived at Alcatraz eventually. And it's amazing that all, I mean, pretty much all the ones that we'll probably mention are the the well-known ones. I, I doubt anybody mm-hmm. would have heard of Joe Schmo who ended up in Alcatraz. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, but you got to remember that like a lot of these people who are out at Alcatraz, they were the most disruptive. So they all had a name for themselves in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just these particular guys had some of the most fame. Uh, one in particular being, of course, Al Scarface Capone, who spent four and a half years uh, at Alcatraz during the 1930s. Uh, he, he originally was incarcerated in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which was a problem because it had allowed him to remain in contact with the outside world and continue to run his criminal operation in Chicago. As such, they transferred him over to Alcatraz. And when he got there, uh, according to a biography called Capone by John Kobler, uh, Capone had once told the warden that it looks like Alcatraz has got me licked, simply meaning he had no influence anymore outside to his business. Or inside, uh, for that matter. Or inside, for that matter. Yeah. I mean, there, if you're at Alcatraz, you're pretty much screwed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just funny because I was reading through the, the research for this, and Al Capone thought, like, he had it made going to Alcatraz. Everybody would know him. You know, he would be the hot shit of Alcatraz. And lo and behold, he was not, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, this was the one place where the police had everything handled. You know, there were other uh, prisons where he was able or Capone was able to uh, pay off guards and all. Yeah, pay off guards, corrupt prison guards and stuff like that. And that just wasn't happening at Alcatraz. Nobody was going to be paid off. This place was that's why it was called the prison's prison by the BOP. I mean, this was the place to send people who simply were acting out or doing things they shouldn't have been doing. Now, over the years, there were other famous uh, Alcatraz inmates, which included George Machine Gun Kelly, uh, who ended up spending 17 years there on a kidnapping conviction. Gangster Elvin Creepy Carpus, uh, who was listed as public enemy number one by the FBI in the 1930s. Uh, He ended up spending 25 years behind bars at Alcatraz, uh, which was reportedly more than any other prisoner ever to have gone through there. And, of course, murderer Robert Stroud, also known as the Birdman of Alcatraz, who was transferred there after three decades at a federal penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas. Uh, He ended up spending 17 years there. Now, of course, I'm like his nickname, because I actually wondered the same thing. Why is he called the Birdman of Alcatraz? And it turns out in Leavenworth, he used to have a bunch of birds. Uh, He was permitted to keep them. Uh, And at Alcatraz, he wasn't. So the name pretty much just transferred over, and that's about it. He wasn't actually allowed to have any birds at Alcatraz. Well, and it might have been a jab at him saying, hey, Birdman, because now he couldn't have his pets. So... Everybody took a jab at him as much as they could. Yeah, absolutely. That is completely true. Um, now, of all the escapes, there was actually one prison. See, uh, back back then, a lot of people thought, 
where everybody thought that you would not be able to escape because you'd never be able to make the swim, a one and a half mile swim across the bay. You had strong currents. The water was freezing. You'd obviously die of hypothermia or just exhaustion by the time you got there. However, as it turns out, there was one person that we know of that did officially make it across. It was in 1962, and his name was John Paul Scott, a prisoner who greased himself with lard, squeezed through a window, and swam to shore. However, you would think, okay, he escaped. But he was so exhausted that upon reaching the foot of the Golden Gate Bridge, police ended up finding him uh, lying unconscious in a hypothermic shock. And took him right back to Alcatraz. Now, of course, as we know today, there is a triathlon, uh, the escape from Alcatraz triathlon that happens each year. And, of course, is the 1.5 mile swim, which happens. So there I you thought have. that's what you were bringing up, actually, at first. I no, no, no. I didn't realize somebody had actually gotten across. I didn't come across yeah, no, that. Someone actually got across, but, of course, <laughs> nearly died because of hypothermic shock. I mean, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting that so many people did try. I mean, with that that type of conditions, I mean, just the the water temperature and the the length alone. But in order to get out, I mean, you would have had to fall a certain length of feet or even several hundred feet, depending on where you were coming out of, um, to a rocky bottom as well. Yeah, I mean, it really depended, again, on which, where you're coming out of. You're right. Uh, there are prisoners who, like in this case, slipped right through the glass, a glass window. Uh, there are others who went up to the, uh, found a way up to the roof and tried to get out that way. There's others who went down through the floors and um, through the tunnels. There were tunnels that existed underneath Alcatraz or still do to this day. They're off limits now. Um, but back then, there were tunnels that you could have gone through and people tried. But in the end, just no one actually succeeded. Um and also in the end, that is Alcatraz, it ended up closing its doors in 1963, but not because of any other reason, except that the expenses were much too high to keep operating. So the doors closed, and that was the end of the prison. Which brings us to modern day, the 21st century, where not only is Alcatraz a very famous tourist destination for its historical value, but also... It's haunted value. Now, Justin, I know you've done quite a bit of research on this regarding some of the hauntings. Can you take us through some of the things that have happened during its history that might have resulted in these hauntings or any of the hauntings that people are currently witnessing? Um, I I mean, with as many people that had tried to escape, um, I didn't come across anything where people were shanked or murdered in the prison um but they were but they they? were okay i mean and that's something now that's not something i looked up online that's just something i learned from when i went to alcatraz the tours okay yeah um but a lot of the stuff a lot of the different activity that goes on there um it's kind of interesting uh the one account is from a park service employee that says she was working uh, in a, on a rainy afternoon, uh, when the sparse number of tourists were not enough to keep all the guides busy, she went for a walk in front of A Block and was just past the door that led down to the dungeons uh, where she heard a loud scream come from the bottom of the stairs. She ran away without looking to see if anyone was down there. 
That that, that is the most irresponsible <laughs> guide I've ever heard of. When you when you're scared, you're scared. I mean, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Anyways, uh when asked about it, uh she had said, I didn't dare mention it because the day before everyone was ridiculous ridiculing another worker who reported hearing men's voices coming from the hospital ward, and when he checked the ward, it was empty. Now, several other guides have expressed strangeness around the whole, quote-unquote, whole cells, which we heard about in uh, Mansfield Prison. There was another (laughs) whole area here, uh, number 14D. There's a feeling of sudden intensity that comes from spending more than a few minutes around that cell, one of them said. Another guy also spoke up about the particular cell. That cell is always cold. It's even colder than the other three dark cells. Sometimes it's sometimes it gets warm out here, so hot you have to take off your jacket. But when you go into 14D, it's still cold, cold enough to put the jacket back on. Mm-hmm. And that is actually really interesting. Um, I didn't come across anything too major that may have happened in 14D. Um, I don't know if you had any information on 14D. I do, actually. Okay. So one of the most terrifying incidents that seemed to happen uh, that took place near the holes and in particular cell 14D. Now this doesn't, didn't necessarily happen in 14D, but it happened very close to it. Near it. Okay. Uh, basically during the guard stint in the middle 19, middle of the 1940s, uh, an inmate was locked in the cell for some forgotten infraction. Uh, and according to the officer, the inmate began screaming within seconds of being locked in. He claimed that there was some creature with glowing eyes, uh, locked in the cell with him. Now as tales of ghostly presences, uh, wandering the nearby corridor were a continual source of practical jokes among the guards. No one actually took the cries seriously. Unfortunately, the man screaming continued on into the night until finally there was silence. Now, the following day, the guards inspected the cell and they found the convict dead with a horrible expression that had been frozen under the man's face, supposedly, and a clear marks of strangulation. Uh, apparently, they, were, they looked like hands, like human hands around his throat. Now, there was an autopsy, which revealed that the strangulation could not have been self-inflicted, and even though some believe that perhaps he was choked by one of the guards who were just tired of his screaming, others think that perhaps... This was a spirit of some sort and perhaps even believe that the killer was a spirit of a former inmate. Hmm. All right. So another in really interesting spot is uh, the C block. Every visitor that comes eventually goes uh, by the C block. It's a double steel door area. Uh, if they look opposite the visiting room, they will find a metal door that looks as though it was once welded shut. Although the tour guides don't usually mention it, behind that door, if the utility corridor or is the utility corridor where Coy, Kretzer, and Hubbard were killed by grenades and bullets in 1946. Now, these guys actually uh, started what you would call a riot, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they killed several guards. They ended up having to have the, uh, I believe it was the Navy? The Marines. The Marines. Uh, So originally these 
six men who started the riot. It, it didn't start as a riot right off the bat. They actually had the keys. They stole the keys and went to the uh, the armory. They took a bunch of guns. And at that point, they started the riot. Uh, there was this huge fight. Three of the men were killed. Uh, the other three were convicted again. Of course, they went to trial. Uh, and I think only two of them were sentenced with a death penalty. Um, but during this time, there were a couple of guards killed. And again, there were bullet holes. And of course, a grenade went off, uh, basically tearing a piece out of the wall, which is really interesting because based on the story, if you go to C block now, those remnants of that fight are still in the walls. You can still see the bullet holes. You can still see where the frag grenade went off. And it's actually really an interesting thing to see, you know, when you think of the history of it, uh, so, yeah, it actually began as an escape attempt, uh, but unfortunately they didn't get away and they ended up calling the Marines in to help end it. End it, yeah. All right. So now in that same area, uh, a night watchman had heard a strange clanging sound in 1976. He opened the door, uh, peered down the, the dark corridor, flashed his flashlight around, didn't see anything, then... You know, as soon as he had opened the door, there was no noise. Closed the door. Immediately after closing the door, the noise started again. Opened the door again. Once again, noises stopped. So after that second time, he closed the door and just walked away. Uh, he couldn't explain it, so he just wrote it off as, you know, just strange noises. Another night watchman who had uh, patrolled that cell house after the last tourist boats had left the, for the day, say that they heard the sounds of what appeared to be men running uh, on the upper tiers. Thinking it was an intruder, they went up there, and again, nobody to be seen. According to sources, a number of guards who served between 1946 and 1963 experienced strange happenings on Alcatraz. From the grounds of the prison to the caverns beneath the buildings, there was often talk of people sobbing and moaning, inexplicable smells, cold spots, and spectral apparitions. Even guests and families who lived in the island, on the island rather, claimed to occasionally see the ghostly forms of prisoners and even phantom soldiers. Phantom gunshots were known to send seasoned guards cringing on the ground in the belief that there was actually prisoners shooting. Uh, there was never any explanation for any of it. A deserted laundry room would sometimes fill with the smell of smoke, even though nothing was burning. The guards would be sent running from the room only to return later and find that the air was clear. Now, even Warden Johnston during his stint there uh, who did not believe in ghosts once encountered the unmistakable sound of person of a person sobbing while he accompanied some guests on a tour of the prison. He swore that the sounds came from inside of the dungeon walls. The strange sounds were followed by an ice cold wind that swirled through the entire group. He could offer no explanation for the weird events. Final one I wanted to mention is uh, this one here. According to one park ranger, he was in one of the cell houses one morning near the shower room and heard the distinctive sound of banjo music coming from the room. He could not explain it, but many who know some of the hidden history of Alcatraz can. In his last days at the prison, Al Capone often hid in the shower room with his banjo. Rather than risk going out into the prison yard where he feared for his life thanks to his deteriorating mental state, Capone received permission to stay inside and practice with his instrument. 
Mm-hmm. Now that's and actually that interesting because I didn't know Al Capone played banjo, but yeah, and not only did he play banjo, he actually played banjo for the band of Alcatraz. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> go figure. I mean, you know this hard ass gangster. <laughs> He's in an inmate band. <laughs> um. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Yeah. So these are just, you know, many of the things that have happened over the years that people have claimed. And even to this day, people still claim to, to hear voices, hear the sobbing, uh, feel cold spots and feel the present watching them. And one of the most famous still, uh, that seemed to happen right around the hole in cell block, uh, near cell 14D is these glowing red eyes. There have been ghost hunters, both on television and otherwise, who've claimed to see these red eyes there before. Uh, there are prison guards currently, uh, I, I don't, not literal, uh, how would you consider that? Because they're not really, like they're prison guards because they're guards for the prison, but they're not prison <laughs> guards as in guards for the prisoners. You know, you know what I mean? More so, like rent, rent to cops, <laughs> sort of. More like security. Uh, but they have guns. But they have guns. So anyway, some but security these people, guards have guns. Some security. Okay, maybe. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> some of these guards are just still too afraid to go near uh, cell 14D because of these glowing red eyes. They claim to have seen it or seen shadows or some type of uh, black masses down there. Uh, we, I've seen on television a couple of, of ghost hunters who have visited Alcatraz doing investigations and again have seen things there, or at least felt presences there and claim to have seen things. Nothing caught on tape. Uh, just it's all personal witness of some of these things. No one has really caught anything there on video um, or camera. Uh, not much anyway. There are a few things here and there. But one thing has been very, very clear throughout the years, and that is the fact that Alcatraz is indeed haunted. Uh, and I think that's pretty much the case for anybody who walks into that building. I mean, unless, of course, you're 100% just don't believe in ghosts. Uh, when you walk in there, you kind of feel the presence. You know, there were this place is still living to this day, just beyond the realm that we currently know. Right. All right. Well, that is what we have for Alcatraz. We're going to take a quick break here and we're going to get into another very interesting, famous, uh, most haunted place, the tower of London right after this. This episode is brought to you by audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours, instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible, where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth, where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. 
And we had just completed talking about the prison known as Alcatraz, a.k.a. The Rock. Uh, and we're not talking about the famous, crazy expensive actor who is awesome, but the building that, you know, is in San Francisco. Anyway, from there, we are moving on over the pond, and that is to the Tower of London. I'm going to go ahead and let Justin kick this one off. So, Justin, it's all on you, buddy. Now, first and foremost, it's very interesting that we chose two locations that were first one thing and then became prisons. (laughs) (laughs) The Tower of London uh, is one of the oldest and most famous prisons, though its original purpose was not to house criminals. In fact, the tower, which is actually a complex of towers, which is interesting because when you think Tower of London, you think a tower, not multiple Mm -hmm. towers, uh, was built in the latter part of the 11th century as the fortress to protect London. The Tower of London soon became notorious for its other, more brutal uses, though. Uh, the White Tower, which was the first or oldest structure, uh, started uh, being built in 1078 and was completed in 1100 during the rule of King William II. It was designed and built by Gundolf of Rochester, a Norman bishop who has been credited with overseeing the construction of a number of important sites in English history, including the Priory and Cathedral Church in his home city. Now, the White Tower is obviously named after the stone that was used, white limestone, imported from Cain in northwestern France. While designed as a battlement, the Tower of London soon found use as a prison. When King Henry I assumed the throne in 1100, following the assassination of his brother, William II, one of his first acts was to order the arrest of Ranulf Flambert, the Bishop of the Bishop of Durham. Flambert was charged with the crime of simony, or the act of selling administrative positions in the church for money. He became the first prisoner held in the Tower of London, though he later escaped. And... Another thing that this has in common with Alcatraz, people tried to escape. Um, Always tried to escape. (laughs) uh, The next tower was the Bell Tower and then the Wardrobe Tower. Uh, Subsequent monarchs took steps to fortify and expand the complex, constructing the Bell Tower, commenced in 1190 and completed in 1210, and obviously named because a bell was put at the top of the tower, uh, which was rung during emergencies, fire, or impending enemy attack. The wardrobe tower, also commissioned in 1190 and completed in 1199, prior to the bell tower being uh, finished. The name indicate, or as the name indicates, the tower was used to hold the royal garments and the crown jewels. Ten years after completion of the bell tower, King Henry III ordered construction of the Wakefield and Lawthorne towers the latter being the old English spelling of the present-day word lantern. As the name suggests, a lantern was positioned at night at the top of the Lanthorn Tower to help guide ships. So, in other words, it was a lighthouse, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there was this is a, a weird thing because of the name. Uh, the Beef Eaters. Over the ensuing centuries, many towers, as well as a protective wall, were added to the Tower of London Complex. In the late 1200s, for example, Edward I ordered the construction of a mint in the complex, which remained in use until 1968. Since 1485, security of the Tower of London complex has been maintained by a special order of guards known as the 
yeoman warders, commonly known as beef eaters. Now, I know you guys are asking, where did the name come from? The name allegedly is based on a comment from an Italian nobleman in the 17th century who remarked that members of the security corps were given a large daily ration of beef. Now, what I found very interesting about this research uh, for this episode was the Tower of London is known supposedly for people being tortured while being imprisoned there. Now, that is actually not completely true. There were people tortured there, but it was not a common act. Uh, It was only reserved for political prisoners uh, to get information out of them, and then they were put on a device that was called the rack. Now, if you're not familiar with the rack, um, it is kind of a very not-so-nice thing to watch because I have seen reenactments, at least, not the real thing. Uh, So I'm sure it was probably even more gruesome than the reenactments, but they would basically tie your hands, tie your feet to each side of the rack, and then start turning to pull out your limbs. And that, I mean, was the only real one that I came across that they used was the rack. I believe they used whips and other types of torture for that, uh, for, for, uh, political prisoners. But that was one of their main go-tos. Now, interestingly enough, if you were a wealthy inmate, you were actually taken care of pretty well. Uh, they were wealthy inmates were allowed to live relatively luxuriously with some even allowed to leave to go on hunting trips. Uh, King John Belial was able to bring his own servants hunting dogs and wife. (laughs) And uh, he was actually in prison there for three years and all of them were there with him for three years until he was exiled to France in 1299. London really does things differently than America, (laughs) don't they? Darn Europeans. Well, then again, I mean, a lot of people wanted to go to Alcatraz because they felt it was the luxury. Yeah, because they felt like, but still, like, come on, you bring your servants? (laughs) To prison? (laughs) I mean, what's the point of going to prison? Just lock them in their house. (laughs) Well, now that we talked about that, the there actually was much more executions done at the Tower of London than there was torture. Oh, Uh, good. Well, at least there's a way to make up for it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Writer and statesman Sir Thomas More was beheaded at the Tower after refusing to recognize King Henry III or, I'm sorry, King Henry VIII as the head of the Church of England in 1535. Uh, A year after that, Henry VIII, which, if you don't know the song, King Henry VIII, I am. Henry VIII, I am, I am. Uh, Keep going. We're going to make a CD out of this. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Full album, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I got married to the widow next door. I had been married three times before. That's about the extent of what I know. It's <laughs> that anybody knows. <laughs> Anyways, he ordered the beheading of his first wife, Anne uh, Boleyn. And then in 1542, uh, which was only six years later, had his fifth wife beheaded, Catherine Howard, at the Tower of London. So this guy went through a lot of wives. Um, the more well-known prisoner 
the political prisoner that was executed at the Tower of London is uh, Guy Fox. Uh, if you don't know Guy Fox, watch the movie V for Vendetta. And the hacker group known as Anonymous wears Guy Fox masks. Uh, but Guy Fox was arrested for his role in a plot to blow up Parliament in um, on November 5th, 1605. He was actually found with a cache of explosives and gunpowder and was executed a year later in 1606. Uh, Guy Fawkes Night is actually still celebrated in much of the UK on that date to commemorate the foiling of the plot and the survival of the British Empire. Okay, and then lastly, King Edward VI was murdered at the Tower of London in 1471 during the War of the Roses Civil War. Now, with all that past, uh, we get into present, more current day, and actually the bloodiness did not get any better for the Tower of London. In 1745, uh, Simon Fraser was actually caught uh, and punished at the Tower of London, and still well into the 20th century, uh, role of crime and punishment was being taken part at the Tower's. Uh, 11 German spies were executed at the Tower of London during World War One. Interestingly, although London suffered numerous attacks during the conflict, only one bomb was dropped on the Tower. It landed in the moat. The facility wasn't so fortunate during World War II. The Tower complex suffered significant damage during the multiple bombings, with several buildings being destroyed. The Tower of London still fulfilled its role as a prison in that conflict, however, with Hitler's second-in-command, Rudolf Hess, incarcerated there in 1941 and after he was or I'm sorry, after he was captured in Scotland. Hess was later transferred to another prison. He was eventually tried at Nuremberg and given a life sentence. He died in 1987. He was really old. <laughs> <laughs> so, interest I mean interesting little quick tidbit on the Tower of London. It has a lot of history, much more than what I'm going over. Um, I would love to go and actually take a tour of the Tower of London because it's by far one of my uh, bucket list places to go. Mm-hmm. Well, perhaps that'd be one of the places we go once I get money. <laughs> Unless you go before me. Uh, maybe we can make it a point to go together because who knows, we could maybe even get a show recorded there or before and after, if you will, too. Um, yeah. Now, some of the hauntings that go on there, uh, the men by the fireplace, uh, this actually was going on as far back as the mid-1980s. One young Yemen warder was up in the by war tower reading the paper suddenly next to the fireplace the warder noticed a pair of spindly medieval looking men smoking day pipes as he stared one of the men turned and stared back then the moment was over and the men vanished in yeoman clerk wilson's words the young man wasn't sure whether he had seen the past or the past had seen the future interesting concept if you think about it because it is an interesting concept assuming that it was indeed a residual haunting because then that would make sense you know but if it's intelligent then they're both technically in present time so right right well but if you think about it too 
not to rabbit trail too far, um, there are some people that believe that ghosts are really us getting a glimpse into the past. And or if you go to the past and there were ghost sightings, people being able to see into the future. So, well. so you're thinking more of a this is a, have you seen Interstellar? Yes. OK, so you're thinking something more like that, like a fifth dimension sort in which of. our selves somewhere in the future are able to look back on ourselves now and perhaps relay messages to ourselves in order to prevent what's ever happening or help push forward whatever's happening in the future. Or depending on where we go after we die, maybe we end up in the fifth dimension after we die to do just that or to warn other people. And we're just seeing them push through the fifth dimension. Hmm. I feel like this is another episode for another time. <laughs> well, it is, but I wanted to bring that up. <laughs> um, another interesting ghost uh, sighting. Uh, St. Thomas Beckett uh, was actually responsible for um, the building of the Trader's Gate uh and it was constructed in the the time of Edward I. He was supposedly responsible for it being halted because um, he was he was unhappy with with um, the erecting of it. But uh, this time, however, or at the time, however, locals reported the stories of the ghost of Thomas Beckett to um, King Edward I, and he ordered for it to be built once again, even though it had been halted by this ghost. And mm-hmm. believe it or not, he actually supposedly collapsed the archway. Su- supposedly. Or okay. maybe somebody got spooked and that's how it all came crumbling down because they got spooked and one missed s- spot and the entire thing crumbled. Who knows? Um, there are princes in the tower Along with Anne Boleyn, the young Edward V and his brother Richard are perhaps the tower's most famous inhabitants. The rumors are famous. Uh, two princes locked in the bloody tower, then more pleasantly named the Garden Tower, before being bumped off by good old Uncle Dickie, as Wilson refers to Richard III. Their bodies and fate remain a mystery. There have been sightings of the two young boys dressed in white gowns wandering aimlessly around the tower grounds. Even children of preschool age who couldn't possibly know the history have reported two melancholy youths in funny clothes. Now, it's interesting white gowns because back then that would have been their sleeping attire. Mm-hmm. Blood-curdling screams of the Countess of Salisbury. I believe that's how that's pronounced. Uh, you might be surprised. Salisbury steak? Pretty much the same thing, yes. <laughs> You might be surprised. That must be what the beef eaters are eating. Maybe. Uh, Salisbury stick. (laughs) You might be surprised to learn that only six people have been beheaded at the Tower of London. The first was Anne Boleyn, but the second, Margaret Pole, Countess of Salisbury, was far more gruesome. Margaret was sentenced to death as a Roman Catholic in Henry VIII's new Protestant England. But she didn't go quite... 
didn't go quietly to the tower's scaffolding, claiming her treatment was for traitors and she was no such thing. She broke free of the executioner and ran back towards her lodgings, but the executioner pursued, hacking her with his axe. On the anniversary of her death, which became seen as a, as martyrdom, her screams are said to still be heard at the tower. The tourist who saw so much suffering. One quiet day, a Yemen warder was in one of the tower's rooms full of engravings remembering some of the tower's many prisoners. He approached by he was approached by a woman and her daughter who were interested in the room's somber decorations. But as he happily explained, the daughter started wailing so so much suffering. The warder was concerned but his mother but the mother reassured him that sometimes she just picked up vibes and would be all right soon. They then proceeded to an area around a former altar where the other interesting engravings were to be found. So, so much suffering, the teenager wailed once more. The warder tried to reassure her that they were all gone now. Not him, the woman replied, putting her hand behind her as if touching a man's shoulder. She pointed to an engraving reading, Thomas Talbot, 1498. And the last one that I have for you guys, the great smoke bear after the crown jewels. The Martin Tower used to hold the crown jewels, always under guard. One night, the soldier on duty saw smoke creeping out from under the door of the tower going to investigate. He saw the smoke gather into the form of a great gray bear. The terrified guard reacted with valor, charging the spectral animal with his bayonet. The The weapon dispelled the beast, but lodged so deep in the door that it took two men to remove it. The soldier died two days after the incident. The bear story remains unexplained. Some say it was paranormal propaganda with the Britain at war with Russia at the time. Others speculated the spirit of a dead animal once mistreated at the tower's menagerie. So interesting, interesting stories. Interesting history. It is. It's very interesting. And that bear one is uh, especially intriguing because it brings up a couple of questions. Now, one, obviously, it would make sense to me that if there was indeed a war happening between Russia and Britain at the time, which there was, then maybe it was just on uh, on this guard's mind at the time. And whatever this smoke was, wasn't actually a bear, but he perceived it as a bear. I can't imagine. Like when I think of like, this bear showing up, I'm thinking like an actual full on perfect, you know, image of a bear. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? I can't think of which, which movie it is, but maybe little or not little bear. Is that right? Is there a little bear? Yeah. Um, little bear or uh, Pocahontas or something like that, where they're, they just show up in smoke. I can't remember, but you know, that's what I'm thinking of. However, this idea that perhaps it was an actual bear that was once mistreated, uh, I don't know. It's it's weird to me because the, the, something I haven't done much research on is the idea of uh, the spirits of animals sticking around afterwards. Now, we've heard of it before, but seeing a full-on uh, – um, what am I looking for? What kind of word? A full-on uh, apparition of said animal seems a little to me far-fetched almost uh that would to say that well in this case 
this animal had a much better understanding of the the spiritual world than what a person could have, which mm-hmm. again can make sense because they do have a sixth sense. Most animals, right? Uh, but still, it, it, it's intriguing. It's an intriguing speculation here regarding whatever this guy actually saw. Right. Well, I mean, if if it was just propaganda, a, a paranormal propaganda uh, thing. I mean, if you don't know, the bear was associated with Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, it still is. Well, right. Um, so, to me, if you're freaking out about the fire, you've got the war going on with Russia. That could be easily explained, but I didn't come across anything that said that there was a bear that was mistreated <laughs> at the Tower of London. Um, right. That's not to say that it didn't happen. I just didn't come across it. So, so any any uh, thoughts that come to mind for these two locations for you? Oh, well, we see there's similarities and we see their differences. You know, between the two, obviously. Uh, it, I guess it's hard for me to relate to some of the stuff that. W- that you spoke about here regarding the tower of London, because I guess I've never been to London. I don't know much about London, to be honest, uh, where Alcatraz is more or less in my backyard. You know, I've been there. I could go back there easily again for a lot less than it would cost me to get to, uh, London. Um, and of course American history We're Americans, it's natural that we know more about our history than we do anywhere else. Not to say I haven't taken world history, but it's America. You know, everybody's about America here. So, I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel like here's the thing about, about the Tower of London. It's interesting, but it's not – I don't find it nearly as creepy or frightening as what we talked about with Alcatraz or any of the other uh, penitentiaries that we've spoken about over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's vastly different. And maybe that's a cultural thing. Maybe they're holding back a little bit on what they're talking about. Um, well, people I mean, around the world aren't typically to, as open. If, if we were to go actually take a tour of it, it might be different as well because it, what you see online cool. might not be even close to what actually happened there. Oh, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. It, there is this, this barrier of communication uh, when you're looking at something online or on television or otherwise, as opposed to actually being there and talking with people. Now, again, there's always going to be a barrier because these are all stories that are related by, you know, that they're passed down from one person to the next. Right. So unless we're able to actually, actually talk to the people who witnessed it or people who are actually there at the building at the time before all of this even happened, we're just kind of... You know, we're, we're stuck juggling what's the truth and what isn't. Right. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, both are intriguing stories. And I certainly look forward to 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 next week and see what else we're going to discuss. All right. All right, folks. That's all we got for you this week. Until next week, where you will hear us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace.
I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.